0: You're tuning in to an episode from Adventure Emerge 2021, the number one entrepreneurship conference for students and researchers worldwide. This episode is brought to you by our event sponsors, Edinburgh Innovations and Vonage.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in to this episode um, of Adventure Emerge. I'm super excited for this event. We have three incredible panelists, uh, and we're gonna be here talking about monetizing your passions. And we have literally found the three best people to talk about this. So I'm super excited to to talk about how they discover their passions, how they monetize it, different strategies on different social media platforms, um, and the future of the creator economy. So before we start, uh, I want to give a quick background into each of our speakers. I'm going to let them also do most of the talking because you want to hear from them, not me. I know that. Um, But first we have Matt, and Matt is known as the Raspberry Pi guy. Incredible YouTube videos. Y'all should totally check it out. I'll let him dive into what he does. We have Daniel Koss. He dropped out of school, I believe, and started became a full-time YouTuber. Yeah, so that's going to be a crazy story to talk about. Um, and then we have, you got to help me pronounce your name. Is it Eryfili?
2: Exactly, yeah.
1: Oh, it's Okay, cool. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> well, she has um, over a decade of experience with social media strategy and consulting with companies. So it's going to be awesome to hear her perspective on you know how corporations are working with Gen Z and how Gen Z creators are also kind of learning how to connect with their own generation. So, with that, like I said, I'm very excited. Oh, I forgot my background. My name is Vivek, and I am the host of the 501 Hustle podcast, where I interview Gen Z hustlers and founders from around the world. So, I'm excited to have three right here on the screen with me today. Uh, so, before we dive in to the first question about regarding monetizing your passions, I just want to give everyone here. Um, an opportunity to maybe give like a one or two minute intro just so everyone can kind of hear your voice and daniel if you're cool we start with you uh like an extended intro about myself yeah sure just a little background i know i know i gave a little one-liner but just so they can hear it from you
3: yeah sure so um i actually started as a competitive gamer when i was 13 um then made money by boosting accounts up just selling high-ranked gaming accounts for cash that became illegal Ha- had to, had to become a YouTuber. Um, no offense, a <laughs> YouTuber is actually a great job. Did that for a couple of years. I liked it so much that uh, at 15, I dropped out of school, uh, high school. So I never even attended uni. Um, became a YouTuber for a couple of years. And then at 18, started um, Xterix, which today is Switzerland's leading influencer agency, scaled that company for six years. And now um, I'm the founder CEO of Crabble, started the company one year ago. And at Create, what we're doing is we, we build software infrastructure for creators and managers to do all the boring behind the scenes stuff, because I've been in this yeah, admin game for 12 years and I realized that so many workflows are very, very boring. And actually, in order for people to do what they love, they also need to have to spend less time doing what they don't love. So I do the boring stuff through software. Matt, you want to give us a little background?
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I'm Matt. I'm a final year computer science student at Edinburgh. Um, and a- as you said, um, I'm known as the Raspberry Pi guy online. Uh, when I was uh, about 12 or 13, um, I came across this little a computer called Raspberry Pi. They're they're sold in the UK and across the world now. They're like these $30 um, credit card sized computers. And that was actually the thing that motivated me to get interested in programming, um, all sorts of technical things. And so when I, as I said, when I was 13, I was so sort of motivated uh, and interested in this stuff that I decided to create a YouTube channel to share all of um, my kind of like adventures in computer science and Raspberry Pi. So that's why the Raspberry Pi guy was born. And so, that became a youtube channel over um over the last you know sort of decade that's had something like um s- over 6 million views now like the largest uh youtube channel in this sort of like raspberry pi niche and and yeah it's been it's been cool off of the back of that I've published a book about um getting sort of playing around with robots and raspberry pi and and yeah I've I've also interned separately at some some companies like Amazon and, and a, a startup called Arrival, which is an electric vehicle startup. So maybe we'll be touching upon some of these things later.
1: Yeah, awesome. We definitely will talk about you know what it's like to work in a startup and how that might have helped you become a creator as well. Um, and then, Eryfili, would you like to go?
2: Sure. So, hey, everyone. My name is Eryfili. I'm from Greece. I'm 21 years old. I'm based in London right now. Uh, I'm the founder of The Z-Link, which is the first Gen Z-led social media agency that helps brands market to our generation. So we've worked with Deloitte, Hearst, the United Nations, and mainly a lot of startups in helping them market to this generation. And um, alongside that, I work as head of social media at SafetyWing, which is a Silicon Valley based company that does insurance for remote companies. And uh, finally, right now, I'm uh, studying full-time at Imperial College London for a master's. So yeah, my work is mainly based around the Gen Z social media marketing.
1: Incredible. Well, thank you all so much for giving us your backgrounds. I'm sure the people in the audience now understand why I was so excited to talk to you all. So thank you again for being here. And I want to start off with, so you know, we're here to talk about monetizing our passions. And the first step to monetizing your passion is obviously discovering your passion. And you all have, you know, I would say are in a special case in that you discovered your passion quite young, um, but you actually took the next step to cultivate it and to try to create it into a business and make it part of your identity. So I think a lot of us, you know, we know what our hobbies are or growing up, I kind of had a sense of, a, you know, an idea of what my passions are. But what was that process like identifying your passion and then actually taking that next step to say, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to drop out of school, never go to university and become a full time gamer. What was that like? We start with you, Daniel. But uh, you know, all of you can answer this well for everybody. Um, for
3: for me to be honest, I always struggled to give people an answer to how do I find find my passion because for me it was always like I, I wasn't looking for it. It always like was like my passion found me. So mm-hmm. I I am a big. It's so cliche, right? But like follow your passion. It's not like I don't think you you find it. It's so, it's your passion comes from your own values. It's something you already have. Maybe you just don't know that you have it yet. So. Either, either your passion finds you and you just chase it down and like like lean like go all in on it. Or if you don't know what your passion yet is, then just try different stuff. As stupid as it sounds, just try different stuff. And there's this uh, saying in philosophy, like, I don't know what my opinion is until I talk to someone who I disagree with. Then I know what I actually think. Mm-hmm. So I think if you don't know what you love, try out different stuff and you will learn what you really, really don't like. And yeah, for me, that was cool, to be honest. I
1: think it's a great answer. Um, either one of you two, if you want to go ahead.
0: Um, I, I, I can echo a lot of that. I'm actually, um, Chris Hadfield is an astronaut who was on the International Space Station. And I once listened to a talk by him. And he said something like, the greatest gift that you can give someone is a passion. And what that means is that essentially it's kind of like, by chance or whatever that people's passions develop and so as i was sort of saying before mine was just sort of ha- happening to stumble across this little um computer that was being launched and was going to be super cheap and that really interested me because i was uh, i was 12 with like pocket money and i wanted to have my own computer um so yeah so so i would i really echo with what daniel said that like just spread your sort of like base as wide as you can if you are kind of like feeling for like what you're interested in and stuff definitely does not hurt to try as many things as possible um university is a great place for that but there are very um uh you know plenty of you don't have to have any sort of formal structure around you to try out a a whole host of things and then sort of once you've kind of discovered that you can think about ways that that kind of passion maybe will overlap with other areas. So. For me it was being interested in computers uh, and then also it overlapped with the fact that i quite like teaching people about things because it's a great way of sort of getting under the skin of a topic right is to teach it to someone else but then that also overlapped back when i was sort of the age where i was starting my youtube channel with a like a newspaper article that i glimpsed that spoke about creators making like six-figure sums on youtube um, through advertising and so all of those things, they kind of overlaps, right? I have my passion, I have the fact that I like to teach people, and, I, and you have a business opportunity to make a little bit of money on the side. And if you have, like, you can imagine there's like this big Venn diagram, if you are able to do that little thing in the middle, then that's amazing. Um, I'm not saying that that's super easy and everybody can just do it like that, but with a little bit of um, exploring and with a little bit of kind of like putting your feelers out with different things, then you can definitely find that for, I reckon, pretty much anything.
1: No, I, I, I love that. I, um, I think one of the main things that I've discovered with people like trying to discover their passion and with me, with my podcast, I think what you hit the nail on the head right there, which is what are all the different values or maybe sub passions that will intersect to kind of create this big one. And so for me, just to share real quick with podcasting, I loved meeting new people. I loved having just open conversation with no judgment just to learn another perspective. Um, and I loved like networking. And I loved my voice. That was the other thing is I wanted to learn like what my voice could do. Like, I didn't know, like, like I didn't, I wasn't like, oh, I want to go talk and be a big speaker, but I was interested in like how our voices can be funny, how our voices can be empathetic, how our voices can like engage in a Q and A. And so that was very curious, like interesting to me. And so I think for me, like those are the different values or curiosities that kind of intersected for me to, to discover my passion for podcasting. But at Ophelia, I'd love to hear, uh, you know, what led to, led to you discovering that you really want to help companies with, um, the zealand.
2: So one thing that I definitely agree with from what you said is that you first have to find like the the smaller things that are kind of like your sub passions. I don't know if we have a proper word for that, but things that make you get into more of a stage of like flow and like not feel the passing of time as much. So the things that you truly enjoy doing in a position or in your work or in anything. And uh, for me, that's also just like, meeting new people and connecting and having interesting conversations and like working on interesting problems. So I'd say that from that, I would define my passion more as entrepreneurship in general, rather than as like social media marketing. And for me, doing what I do in social media marketing for Gen Z is a way to solve one big problem, which I enjoy the process of doing. And, you know, I enjoy the people I meet along the way. And like, Um, getting to to engage with so many trends all the time and being like a fast paced space in general as an industry Um, so I just find it very exciting Um, and uh, yeah that's why I'd say that to find your passion I think the key thing to start with would be to identify what things make you um, feel like you don't realize the passing of time and that you could do and doesn't feel like work and then find a way to combine all of these things into something that makes sense, something that you can turn into a job, something that you can monetize.
1: Yeah. I love what you just said about, uh, you're more, you're more, you're more passionate about the process of entrepreneurship versus the literal thing of social media marketing. And I think there's a lot of, uh, truth to that. I I interviewed someone, um, Phoebe Yao, founder of Pareto. And what she does is she helps entrepreneurs, uh, outsource like, boring tasks like lead gen or, you know, creating spreadsheets or whatever. Um, But her hobby isn't necessarily, you know, doing those tasks. It's her process and how she accomplishes those tasks. So what she does is she hires um, an entire women led team, and she trains the next generation of women entrepreneurs. And she does that by giving these women the tasks that are being outsourced to her company. And I think that was the first time I discovered that, you know, your passion doesn't actually have to be the thing that you do, but it can be how you do it and the process that you go about doing it. So I think that was a great piece of advice um the next thing i want to go into so first there's like internally a self-reflection self-awareness process that you got to go through right to discover these passions and then to, to decide to to embark on the monetization strategy um but i think the other thing after the self-awareness process of discovering your passions, then going out and and you know creating uh but i think a lot of times and i think a lot of us think about this but i don't think it goes it's not talked about as much which is that Like fear of judgment or that fear of creating your own path and not really having too many people to copy or look up to or maybe even feel like you have enough advice or support so what was that like to become a creator to embark on that entrepreneurial journey not knowing if like you were going to get full support or not knowing exactly where it was going to go um and was there that fear of judgment that you had to overcome and if so like what helped you do that we start with anybody
0: uh i I can go i i mean i i set up my youtube channel when i was still in secondary school so i definitely kept it under wraps for a while and then i'm pretty sure i did get mocked um when it sort of did come out and somebody discovered my youtube channel so definitely if you're doing something different if you're doing something new that like other people haven't done especially if you're sort of trying to define your own niche then then Sure, you can you can face a little bit of like mockery or whatever. I think the um, the 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 way that that is sort of combated is just like sheer love for what you do. Um, if you know that you are sort of building a even at the very beginning a very very small online community w- where people love computers or they love uh, video games or something like that, then that's very sort of empowering. And um, yeah, that's definitely like the the. The thing that kind of like drives you and stuff, like getting your first few subs. For me on YouTube, is like getting my first few subscribers, and then um, you kind of get like a, a little bit of an online community, which is which is really nice and, and very supportive.
3: It was the same for me. I also definitely got mocked for my first videos, <laughs> uh, but to be fair, they were really bad. Um, so yeah, I had had four channels. Uh, And the main reason for that was that actually my first videos were so bad, I was afraid um, I didn't have my adult voice. So I had like this very embarrassing um, little guy, (laughs) very female voice. Um, I think most viewers thought I'm a girl. (laughs) And then I had these these huge big black borders because my rendering settings were wrong. Um, And I used my mic the wrong way around. I spoke into the wrong side of the mic for a year until a viewer said uh, a viewer was kind of like a sound engineer told me like that sounds wrong what are you doing did you see a whole year yeah yeah (laughs) yeah at that point i had over 100k uh, subscribers (laughs) i was still uh, abusing the mic um and yeah so basically my advice here is just get started like it's not you're not running the risk of of publishing bad content this is a guarantee like if you're going to do it, you're going to suck, period. Like, that's it. So now you can either accept that and just, I mean, it's like always just get started, do it. And then I told you that before, Like uh, I believe there's a, the audience has the power to, to auto correct all your mistakes because trust me, whatever they don't like, they will point it out. If your sound quality sucks, I mean, I learned that my sound quality sucks through my audience, I learned that my rendering settings are wrong through my audience. I learned what types of content they like and dislike through my audience. So just do what you love and the stuff that you are bad at, the audience will let you know, trust me. Like they're very direct usually.
2: I'm not a creator in the same way as uh, Daniel and Matt, like in my case, Um, because like the nature of what I do is quite different. But uh, I guess the closest I can get is from the fact that I do get to Create content for like a large variety of clients all the time that can be in very like completely different industries with completely different audiences. Um, so that's the closest thing I have to that experience. But um, also in creating a, a company itself and something of your own, I'd say that, as the other said too, the single most important thing is to just like ignore because you are going to have like insecurities and uncertainties when you're starting out. That's only natural. And uh, yeah, the best thing is just to ignore that voice, make sure that if there's something to learn there, take it, improve, but just get started basically, because you you can get stuck in the stage of trying to perfect everything before you start for ages and let opportunities pass by, but there's truly no point to it because you learn much better by doing than by waiting and observing and wondering how you can improve in advance. So yeah, just get started.
1: I think that is that whole, you know, the whole Nike's like, just do it. It's like very simple, but I think there's a lot of genius to it. Uh, I remember I was talking to a mentor of mine and I was, you know, I was like, I don't know how to do this. What do I do? How do I do it? He looked at me and he was like, you're just comp, just do it. That's all you have to do. Like you're sitting there complicating things in your thoughts with your, you know, the fears and the judgments. And all you got to do is go out and take the first step and do it and learn. So I love that piece of advice as well. Um, I got a question for Daniel and Matt, and then I got one for you at, at Affiliate after that. Um, Daniel and Matt, I want to talk about uh, the monetization strategy from YouTube. And Daniel, you talked about how, you know, there's your your audience is going to not hold back when it comes to feedback and, and you're engaging with the audience. So when you're when you're getting these hundreds of thousands of you know views, subscribers, all this type of stuff um, on YouTube or, you know, even if it's TikTok, or Instagram or whatever it is, are you monetizing that just off of views and subscriptions or do you really monetize your passion by taking the next step and creating an engaged community or you know having a newsletter that'll go out so people can respond to you like what do you do to create the engaged community if that's necessary in the monetization strategy
3: okay so that obviously heavily depends on what type of audience you have Mm -hmm. um for me i had four income streams back then um and then i've seen many different income streams for creators that i managed a couple of years later so during my 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 times like 10 years ago um my four income streams were the obvious one youtube adsense then there was uh, brand deals which still is the biggest income source of like 80 percent of creators so brand deals definitely is there's a lot of beauty to the model uh it's actually one of the few advertising always gets a lot of hate, like, oh, people hate ads, but guess what they hate more? Not seeing content for free. And advertising is the best thing. It allows you to put the premium content, your best content, out there for free. And I would argue that's actually more important for the creator and the audience um, than having, like premium content behind the payroll for like 1% of the audience, because the, the, the fundamental creator dilemma is if you want to monetize something, you want it to be like the exclusive premium stuff. But at the same time, you don't want to optimize just for uh, money. You also want to optimize for growth, which is important to you personally, but also to long-term money-making abilities, uh, capabilities. So yeah, I'm a big fan of brand deals actually still. Then I had uh, Merch which I'm sure that every YouTuber has dabbled with or played with a little bit. Usually it's, I would say, a bit ego-driven and you copy it from other YouTubers. Most of the time, not a great way to make money. It's cool for community building, but not necessarily the best way to make money. Um, Actually, a very, very big cash cow for me personally back then was I I was running my own Minecraft server with an entire team where you could buy um, premium subscriptions or like VIP access that will cost between 10 to $29 per month, it was, like a, it was like a Minecraft server VIP access as a service. So it was a beautiful model and something that works really well. Um, there were a lot of similarities back then to crypto communities nowadays. Um, and then later, something that's kind of starting to take off now or has been taking off over the last five years, I would say is uh creator ventures or like own like creator products uh if i go to the store right now i can see multiple products that are actually promoted mainly through big creators you can see that with like um the mcdonald's meals that are featured by uh what is travis scott uh there's like um Kanye shoes, like all these creator products with traditional celebrities. This is obviously also happening. Oh, obviously, the big one would be Kylie Cosmetics was big in the headlines everywhere, which is making like uh, first self-made billionaire. Um, And yeah, that's also working with 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 smaller creators. Like you don't have to be the next Kylie Jenner, but you certainly need a certain size. I would say typically around 500K subscribers on YouTube. This can become a really good business. It will take you approximately three years to to uh, break even, and from there onwards, it can very quickly become a, yeah, seven-figure business um, every single year. But again, usually from what I've seen, I've also launched two of these creator ventures myself, like four creators that I've managed. Again, usually takes a big investment up front, anything from 200k to 500k. So in like for 2 to 3 years it's actually going to cost you money it's more an investment to your long term future and it's a big commitment and it takes 3 years usually to to build it out so those are just a, a few ideas from uh from me and i would say Matt and, and Eric definitely have like more ideas i guess
0: um so yeah so i think the question very much depends on like on how big your kind of online community is so i think i think for my like youtube channel i don't think uh i haven't had, i'll check out daniel's stuff um but mine's mine was a lot smaller um i had sort of like 70k subscribers and that's because like one of my big pieces of advice um to people who want to start out on this type of stuff is to sort of hone in and target a a very specific niche. And so I had a very, very specific niche, which was like Raspberry Pi and like Raspberry Pi tutorials and things like that. And so I was like the largest channel in that space. But if the space is only a certain size, then obviously that's going to limit um, your kind of like growth a little bit. So actually that's a lesson in itself is to kind of try to identify your niche. So I'm the Raspberry Pi guy on YouTube, and I have in the past wanted to kind of branch out from doing sort of Raspberry Pi content and maybe try some other stuff, and then that stuff hasn't gone down so well because uh, in terms of views and things, because that's kind of like people subscribe to me because I'm the Raspberry Pi guy. That's the niche that I do. So that's actually a, a separate lesson in itself. Um, but yeah, in terms of like a sort of a smaller to medium sized audience, um, especially when I was as I was a teenager, like making some money was 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 super cool. Was was great. I was I was all for it. But I wasn't sort of like targeting it as, okay, this is going to be my sort of like salary type thing. So yeah, so I would echo a lot of the stuff that Daniel said, though, even on a smaller scale, you know, AdSense, like every YouTuber gets AdSense. That's just like a given. Um, Sort of like brand deals. And um, for me, it was sort of companies that were making products around like this kind of ecosystem of electronics and stuff. They'd send me stuff for free to try out or they'd, um, you know, sponsor some sort of... um, review or try out or whatever. And then you get lots of opportunities um, from just having like a relatively large public presence. So for example, I wrote a book, um, which which is called Learn Robotics with Raspberry Pi, necessary book block, it's available on Amazon. Um, but that was sort of like teaching people how to um, make robots with Raspberry Pi. And you could use, I could use the kind of, this very niche um, community that I've grown to kind of like platform my book from and so yeah I I did write that myself though like it's not like Zoella I didn't get that ghost written um but yeah that's something people have written books before in this space so there's I think there's just a huge number of ways of monetizing having an audience pretty much like as long as you have people who are interested in the stuff that you produce there are ways of monetizing that and crucially there are ways of monetizing that that don't uh detrimentally affect your audience like what daniel was saying for example like putting stuff behind a paywall nobody really wants to do that that much because you can just ostracize this huge percentage of your viewership who 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 don't want to pay or they can't can't pay a monthly subscription or something like that so there are lots of different models that you can that you can do and and more and more kind of like coming along um as different creators become big awesome i think
1: uh soon we'll we'll talk about that with different models that might be coming up in the future and and dig deeper into the different monetization strategies um but Inter- if you have anything to add go ahead um if not i also have a question for you, you. yeah go for it mm-hmm. cool so um I, I did a little reading on you and i saw in an interview that you talked about the importance of like being disciplined or having a routine uh but also prioritizing like your mental health and when you're you know constantly trying to be persistent, consistent, disciplined, and that's very important for what you're doing, especially the amount of work that you're doing, plus with school. Um, how do you balance all of that stuff and the consistency that it, it takes to, to become successful to a certain degree versus prioritizing your mental health and making sure that you know, you're know you not burning yourself out?
2: That's a great question and actually like something that um, I've become very passionate about recently because um, I think it's a thing that is constantly ignored in entrepreneurship and people tend to just like glamorize overworking and burning out and it's a very toxic space if you're not looking at the right people um like you know i often see tweets of someone being like you know the recipe for success is to spend literally 24 7 of your life working and doing absolutely nothing else and I mean, I don't even know where to start on how wrong that is. But also for me, the most important thing is finding a balanced way to live and work and achieve my work goals. So my goal is not to work so much that I become burned out because that's counterproductive. So to be productive, you simply need to also be taking care of yourself And um, some ways that I try to do that is I try to incorporate in my routine things like meditating and reading and working out regularly. So things that I know I'm doing almost daily if I can to take that time for myself and also like eating healthy and trying to be on top of that first, because if you're not in a good space physically and mentally, you can't be productive for a long time and achieve your goals and, you know, work successfully. Um, so establishing a routine that is healthy, I think is super important and, um, also a way of working that as much as possible kind of strikes the right work-life balance, which is still difficult for me, but I'm trying to, you know, get better as much as I can at setting boundaries around, for example, whether I'm going to, Um, like reply to clients in the weekends or after hours, which because especially because I work with different time zones so much, it's kind of tricky to to balance that. But setting your own boundaries and making sure that the people you work with know when you're going to be available and respect that, I think is very important. And no one can really tell you like you have to still like be on in the weekends, for example. Um, Especially entrepreneurship, it's a good thing because at least it allows you to be a bit more flexible about your own way of working. Um, So yeah, I know that's like a lot of tips all mixed up together, but uh, the main things would be prioritizing your physical and mental well-being through your everyday routine, and also finding a way to work that includes as good, like the best time management you can achieve and work-life balance.
0: I'll I'll also just say something is just very, very quickly on on top of that, which is if you get any of those things wrong, and you're trying to monetize your passion, you have to be careful that you don't lose that passion at the same time, Um, which which is a tale that a lot of YouTubers um, sort of face. You kind of want to grow your channel or your, as I said, like your specific niche, and then uh, keeping up that momentum is really, really difficult. I mean, most famously, for example, um, you have like Casey Neistat, who's a YouTuber who used to do a vlog every day, which is just insane, uh, kind of workload and and editing all of that content and stuff. But he managed to keep it up for something like two years, three years maybe, um, and and then decided to discontinue it because of, of essentially like burnout. Um, so yeah, if you're monetizing your passions, you have to ensure that you have balance and so that they um, remain your passions. Because if a passion turns into a job, then, you can start to start thinking about it just as a job uh, rather than something that you like or you don't want it to be burdensome really
3: i have to jump here i'm sorry for the plug but like that's that's so true that's so true i mean that's literally the reason why what motivated me to to start creable because i saw all these people making their passion their full-time job and then they do all these back office like Am I allowed to curse? Like these these BS tasks, they do all the stuff that they absolutely hate. Everyone hates it, like invoicing, running after clients that don't pay them. Like they do all these soul crushing things and they just wanted to make funny videos, or entertain people. And now basically they're now a back office worker. Sometimes they're not even, they haven't even worked professionally. And that, that's kind of the problem I'm trying to solve because this is not something that can happen. This is something I've seen happen to every single creator I've ever worked with had a hobby and the exact moment where they started to make enough money to make it a profession that like this should be the yay moment but then it's there like actually I no longer have fun doing this because now I have all these like you don't lose the passion itself you lose the time to actually do what you're passionate about and that's such a tragedy I think so yeah this is very very important and a big issue
1: I appreciate all those insights I think I feel you hit it like perfectly which is we uh seem to society idolizes the grind, the hustle, the the Gary V's energy and attitude and all that type of stuff. So yeah, I know. Um prioritizing mental health is extremely important. I'm glad that we all got to talk about it because um I think that's also very important to to recognize this is monetizing your passions. This isn't how to take your passion and turn it into a job. It's different. And I think uh, you guys made it very clear as to as to how we can distinguish that in our head. So I appreciate that. Um and I want to talk about how uh, with Matt Netafili, uh, particularly how, you know, you discussed, y- you don't want to focus so much on making money that, that you're going to lose your passion, right? And so I know a lot of creators or, or you know, just people that are entrepreneurs um, are starting their own thing, but also have another job where they're trying to like have some sort of solid income stream so they can have the freedom or independence to do their own thing. So for you two, I know you've worked at a startup. I'm not sure if you guys are currently working at startup, so please feel free to clarify when you answer. Um, But what did you learn from a startup, like in terms of the culture, uh, insights and stuff like that, that might have allowed you to actually become more successful in your own creator entrepreneurial ventures? Were there any insights or did it give you any additional freedom or monetization strategies that you don't think a big corporation would have given you? matter either way yeah go ahead
2: um i can start i am still working at uh, the startup although it's quite a large one like we are 100 people right now and um i work there full-time alongside my business and um i think originally i thought i would have preferred to go for a corporate path like before i started my entrepreneurial journey let's say um but then it quickly became clear to me that working at a large startup can be better in so many ways and the main thing that I find uh, really beneficial is that um, there's a very healthy culture, at least at the startup I'm at, like I think I got lucky because a lot of them have this, you know, as you said, Gary Vee mentality, but uh, <laughs> um, there's a very healthy culture. Um, it's remote, which matters a lot to me. And you can get a lot more responsibility early on. So I think out of a hundred people, I'm probably the youngest one there. And, compared to if I were at a corporate environment doing a social media role. Um, Here I get to be head of social media. If I was somewhere else, I would probably, you know, it would take me 10 years to to get to something like that and actually get to learn from a job like that. Um, So I really think it's really great that at startups, you can dive right into the industry and the role that you're interested in and get that firsthand experience much faster Um, because the chances are they'll trust you with a lot more responsibility and you'll also have a lot more freedom to define your role and learn on the job. Um, So if the startup that you're working at has something to do with your other passion, um, which in my case it does, it can really merge into one big learning experience where the things I learn in one thing really help the other. Uh, So for me, I think that like for, for people that where this is possible, I would definitely recommend looking into something like that and seeing if there's a role at a startup that could give you a lot of responsibility and could let you dive right into the item that you're interested in.
0: Yeah, so I I interned at um, a startup, but they're kind of more like a scale up now. They've got two and a half thousand employees and they've IPO'd. So they're still pre-product but but it's kind of it's still is, um, is, is less of a startup it's called arrival and um, they're an electric vehicle company in in London so kind of different from what we've been discussing uh, in terms of sort of businesses in like this social uh, media um, type influence uh, and content creation world um, and so this is like a very technology heavy uh, company that's trying to reinvent how electric vehicles are made. And that kind of aligns more to like my computer science interests and my um, kind of stuff that I'm doing in my degree, rather than my, my my sort of YouTube channel. But I think there's still something that can be taken away from that. And um, it's kind of to echo what was just said about like if you're in a smaller environment, um, then you do have some chances to 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 take on a bit more responsibility. And it's really interesting to kind of like to 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 see how things scale um especially when you're going from like a an early stage business to um you know, like a medium to 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 like a proper full scale company um yeah it's really interesting to see how things scale and and that's something that big corporations um I worked at Amazon previously they had that right they had that when they were started which was like 20 20 years ago or whatever so yeah, so you can learn a lot. I, 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 not that's not to say that you don't learn a lot. Also in in, in a big corporation, it's just very, very different um, kind of stuff that you, that you learn. And th- there are pros and cons of both. And yeah, they the but it's interesting. And I think that it's definitely worth um, trying out if you ever have the opportunity. If if you're interning at places or something like that, then if you can try working for a big company, try working for a startup, um, and pick whatever works best for you, essentially.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna echo what you guys said too. I think uh, I'm currently working at startup as well. There's there's only four of us, so true startup. Um, And we uh, the amount of things that I've learned from the startup in terms of like like basics, like how to use Canva or how to make a good deck or how to create a sales script, like little things that that uh, I don't necessarily think I would have had like the the independence or freedom to take on and, and and learn independently in a bigger company. And I've I've direct. It's funny. I actually talked to my CEO two days ago about this about how. Everything that I've learned at the startup is I'm now directly applying into what I'm doing. And, and it's 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 very obvious um, to me how how much of an impact and influence that that my team at the startups had. So I think um you yeah, know it's pretty great advice. I think I think there's also things to be said about going to a larger company first and then going to a startup or something like that. Um but I think you know it's it's nice to offer the perspective of starting at a riskier job, I think, first. Um so next, I want to get into I want to talk to you, Daniel. I know we talked uh, before this a little bit about some of your like unique, interesting um, YouTube <laughs> tricks and hacks to get more subscribers or views. And so I wanted to open up the floor to any, all three of you, um, but especially you, Daniel, because we <laughs> talked about this. Any uh, fun tricks and, and hacks to get more subscribers or followers or views on YouTube?
3: Okay, so there's obviously always a, a playbook that's being rewritten every single day. Um, so but what I used to do back in the days was Again, so this was like 10 years ago. So what I did that was back in the time where you could add links um in the YouTube comments and the YouTube comments would get shown just based the number of likes. So the very simple one was I was one of the first comment spammers. <laughs> I would just uh, create a 100 fake or 99 fake accounts, uh put the, like put some use a fake account with a cool name like I don't know. Like Max the cool guy or something like that. And then we'll be like, hey guys, this is a really cool video on some popular videos. And I was like, but you know what? I think actually this video is even better. And then it would just be like a very cheap advertisement to my own video. And then I would go to all my other fake accounts and I would just grind it out and just upload the comments. So that way I got like a link to my channel, and my videos as a top comment under like hundreds of top ranked videos with millions. So I, I got, I got literally got like millions of views that way. Now, Obviously YouTube at this point, because it, it worked so well that, that it, it became such a obvious strategy that everyone copied it and YouTube comments basically became useless during a certain period of time. So obviously YouTube has fixed it at this point. Um, another thing that many people did, so you could, um, <laughs> what you could do is you could just copy someone else's video title one to one into your text and then your video would always be recommended next to that video. <laughs> so you can, <laughs> you could just use a big YouTuber, let's say Mr. Beast has a video, and then you just copy his name into your text. now, by the way, I'm not saying these are, are high integrity moves. I'm saying these are the moves you do when you're desperate, <laughs> so yeah, that's what you do when you grind it out. uh today, what works today um yeah, i don't wanna I don't wanna give away the tricks uh for today because i don't know i no longer know all of them so i think the best tricks are the ones you have to figure out for yourself um i i do want to say like like a warning if you do some of these tricks like for example on youtube they will figure this stuff out they will not like you they will not be your fans there's a huge danger of you um like like creating enemies like that Uh, you could get banned depending on what you do like so so like a little like ethics warning here so only do the things that you think uh, are actually good to build the audience that you want to build in ways that you want to build it um but yeah there certainly are tricks with, with these algorithms they are generally much much less intelligent and and fancy than people try to make them out like even the engineers that write the algorithms often have no idea how it works and from my experience the youtubers and big creators actually have a much much better and and clear understanding of how the algorithms work because that's kind of how you become a creator by understanding by either hitting the nerve of the times or by understanding how it works so there's the the luck component and there's the like making yourself lucky component Um, and yeah but I have to say this like together with the first part like the one thing that always works that has never let any creator I've ever known down and I'm sorry because this is not the get rich quick answer, but I've never ever in my entire life, never ever seen a creator that consistently created good content for three years in a row that didn't blow up, never. I've seen creators that had amazing videos that didn't go viral. I've never seen someone consistently uploading good content, like even if it's subjective, I've never seen that not go viral in the long run, never. So create good content and it it will actually work out for you. I strongly disagree with everyone that says like, oh, you're too late. Like I don't care about which platform, like ideally use TikTok or YouTube Maybe on Instagram, but if you consistently, especially on YouTube, consistent, good content always works. It's that simple because, I mean, it's good content, very simple.
0: Uh, Yeah, no, Daniel, some of the things you're saying are really funny because (laughs) they kind of triggered some memories of me doing similar things in terms of like shameless. Self promotion under other people's videos. I was hoping videos. we get an
1: ethical answer from you, Matt. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, I'm afraid not. I mean, I have, I think I have a slightly more ethical one as well. Like when I was growing mine, um, as I said, remember this is like quite a niche, and so like Raspberry Pi, they actually had their own forums on on their own website, and so often people would ask questions like, "Oh, I want to do this, this, and this. How do I do that?" And then I would create a YouTube video or something. For these sort of popular questions that were being asked, and then you'd just be able to point them to this YouTube video, and I I built up quite a big, um, quite a lot of my original subscribers from from that. So yeah, so it very much depends. All of this is super decade specific, and super year specific, and even like YouTube is changing so much nowadays, and other platforms are changing so much. Like it becomes month to month specific. you know, scaling a YouTube channel 10 years ago, when I started in like 2012, very, very different um, to to nowadays. A lot of people say, oh, now it's not possible or whatever, uh, which I don't agree with. And I I would agree with um, what Daniel was saying that essentially you have all of these tricks and if if you can figure one out and it works for you for a while, great. But then the thing that is just present throughout um, since the birth of YouTube to, to, to now and and all of these sort of um, apps and platforms is just consistency. Um, as long as you're consistent uh, good things will, good things will happen um, and if you can use some tips and tricks to accelerate that and, and be a catalyst, towards getting a few more people on your videos, whether that's like posting links to them, shamelessly self-promoting, getting people to retweet you on Twitter, something like that, then great. But yeah, consistency is just the key. Um, And I think that's even seen in YouTube. In YouTube analytics, I haven't uploaded a video in a while uh, because I've been very, very busy with like uh, university and things. Uh, Like YouTube analytics hates me right now. They're they're constantly like telling me, oh, you know, your subscribers want to see this or whatever, And, and I think, Consistency on these platforms is the thing that's rewarded the most. Thank
1: you for sharing that. I think, uh, like we talked about earlier, um, mental health is important and so is consistency. And I think finding that balance is, uh, you know, what makes you all such incredible creators. Um, And Ophelia, I wanted to ask you, so we asked them about tips and tricks to like, you know, grow on their YouTube and stuff. Um, But I wanted to ask you some of your tips and tricks when it comes to developing a social media strategy, whether it's corporations trying to cater to Gen Z or, you know, I'm a Gen Zero with a podcast and I'm going to put it out on Instagram. So what are the strategies and things that I need to consider? Um, so I'm going to let you, you know, I'll let you answer the way that you want. But I did read that you talked about that the, the key to creating a successful social media strategy is to be community driven, modern and authentic. So I was wondering if you could break down those three words and then any other adjectives or descriptors into what makes a good social media strategy.
2: Of course, of course. So, yeah, um, first of all, to break down being community driven, uh, that includes what Matt and Daniel also said. So understanding what your community wants to see and producing that good content consistently will help you grow organically in every single case. Um, So that's always a good strategy to go. So you need to know your audience very well, know where they are, so which platforms do they hang out on what online communities are they parts of and what do what content they engage with and uh, understand the types of content that clicks with that click with those people and then start producing that consistently in good quality and targeting those people while also incorporating interactivity and engagement as much as possible in the content you create on social media so um, for example brands that just talk at you and don't really try to talk with their community. If that makes sense, don't succeed as much. Whereas brands that understand the power of conversation and social media and of allowing their audience to uh, talk to them and share their feedback and just like co-create the brand with them, um, that's the way forward. And then when it comes to being modern and authentic, by modern, I mean Uh, staying on top of all the current trends in social media, because that's just the nature of social media as an industry, you know, so if to have a successful social media strategy, I mean, especially on TikTok, but also everywhere else, um, you need to know the trends week by week, know how your brand can jump on them straight away. And you've seen brands that back in the day, you might have thought they don't have any, um, for example, that they wouldn't have any potential to create a strong social media strategy and community, such as like airlines or I don't know, Duolingo. And now they're doing TikTok so well, just because they're jumping on all the random trends they can find. And it's really clicking with Gen Z because it's content that they don't take too seriously. The brands themselves, they understand that people on this platform want to see kind of like fun, lighthearted content. And especially when it comes from a brand, there's an added element of like, it makes the brand seem cooler that they're okay with making such content, and they don't really care to be super corporate and serious. So that always wor- works really well, and also creates the community. So also helps the community part of the strategy. And finally, being authentic, I think is just a mix of all those things, and also um, making sure that at the heart of your social media strategy is just um, showing your your brand's actual values and. Um, targeting the people that can best connect with that so not just copying your competitors or jumping on a trend in the exact same way as everyone else but trying to to make that more personal and to put the brand's personality and values into all of the social media content you create where possible Um, because that because that's what makes a brand stand out at the end of the day so yeah these are three key things that we always do try to to incorporate in every client's social media strategy it's not always easy um not you know brands in some specific industries have it much harder because they they're not industries that have much power for like creating content but i think if you're creative and open to ideas uh it's always possible so yeah, I think actually it's great that you brought those three like parts up because uh, it really helps me also structure the answer, I think.
1: Yeah, of course. No, of course. It was it was your answer that I was just copying and reading. It was a great answer. Yeah, but I'd forgotten so. about it. <laughs> you know? oh, good, oh, good. Um you're talking about the you know, the way that companies are doing the TikTok like trends and stuff. I don't know. Have you guys seen all the the squid game like TikToks? Like the red light, green light. Yeah, I feel like that's the new thing I've been seeing. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um But I, so we got to wrap up soon. So I'm going to ask two quick questions. Um, So you got to go a little fast. Daniel and Matt, um, this is a very broad question, but because you guys are the experts, I'm going to ask it broadly and let you interpret it the way that you want. Um, But where is the future of the creator economy going with regards to either monetization strategies or current issues that creators are facing now? I know, obviously, Daniel, that's why you started your company. Um, Where do you see the creator economy going and what's going to become possible?
3: I'll keep my answer short. I, I don't think, I'm not sure if this actually answers the question, but I, I don't think that the greater economy is a vertical or a new industry. I think the greater economy to me is much, much bigger. It's a societal change. It's a change of power dynamics. It's the it's the movement of power from institutions to individuals across industries. So it's, yeah, that that's what I think the greater economy is. I don't think it's, people making online content, those are new forms of media and distribution. But the greater economy is, again, it's this, this movement of, of, of power from institutions to individuals. And that's, this has so many implications. And yeah, it, again, cliche, but like literally changes the way the world works. And I don't think I could answer this even in an entire hour. I, I couldn't. It's, it's too big, it's too much, it's too complex.
0: I think I think Daniel probably has his like fingers on the pulse of this uh, uh, a little bit more than than I do nowadays. Um, c- because I consider myself to be sort of semi-retired. Um, but something that I've observed, um, uh, maybe just sort of briefly, is just like uh, certain communities just finding what sort of works for them, whether that's like YouTube or whether these are these like new um, and evolving platforms. Like I mean, like. I mean, most sort of infamously, you have something like OnlyFans, but like, I've seen a lot of people pop up, um, journalists, for example, on Substack, uh, which is like a, a, a pay, like you pay per month to read this person's writing. And so it's kind of like people are kind of like defining their own little communities um, and on, on the respective platform that kind of works best for them. I think that maybe 10 years ago, that there was one platform that was kind of monolithic, it was YouTube. Uh, and now we have uh, kind of many more different options and different types of creators are popping up on different different ones, whether it's TikTok, as I said, or Substack or YouTube or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think it's a really interesting time. I think that we're probably gonna continue to have different formats and different uh, things explored more. But I think Daniel's probably right that kind of like the underlying stuff and the underlying sort of economy and creators creating things is like here to stay and um and and we will and we'll continue on but maybe just in some slightly different forms
3: i, I actually i'm not very happy with my answer because it, it's such a non-answer so let me give two actionable things first of okay. all it's it, it's what i really said it's there's a big trend where we're going away from just views, views 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 actually this is just a summary basically of what, what you two said so number one Back in the days, it was all about like top of funnel, like how many people do you, do you reach views? Like those, the big numbers. Now it's much more about the quality of the connection. So we're going from audience to community. That's, that's a big, big change. Number one, which is happening right now, but it's going to get much, much bigger. I think on deck is an example, uh, adventure is an example, like clear communities. And the second thing is also what, what Matt just said is, um, the way how I would, um, Kind of frame this is we're seeing uh, a move because the internet is getting bigger, the creator economy is getting bigger, bigger, bigger. What we're seeing is a segmentation between platforms from the monolithic, like you have YouTube or you had like YouTube and Facebook to a segmentation of platforms by interest. So for example, you don't no longer go on Facebook um, or on LinkedIn because you're old. You go on LinkedIn because you're about, you want it's, to, it's about business. You go on, so your interest decides where you're going. It's no longer like your, your sociographics graphics or your demographics. It's, it's who you are as a person. It's much, much deeper. I, pre- I love that
1: answer. Um, I think that, uh, that it's going to be very interesting to see where it goes. And like you said, Matt, there's like all sorts of different platforms and, and communities and things popping up. So who knows what's going to happen and what's going to be there in the next year or two. Uh, so I'm excited and thank you all so much for joining us to talk. I have one more question that I want to wrap up with. We got to do this quick because I'm not sure if we're going to like kick off or what. Um, but can everyone go around? We'll start with you at Ophelia. And everyone go around. I want to hear like your one sentence, like why. Why does you do what you do? How this why has helped you overcome that fear of judgment and how that why led you to actually say, I'm going to monetize my passion. So what is your why? Um, and then any ways that we can reach out or connect with you, whether it's like your YouTube channel or your Instagram or whatever if people want to reach out.
2: Um, I don't have as much of a defined why, like a mission in what I do right now, rather than the fact that I think that I really enjoy learning new things and connecting with people and also solving problems and being creative. And I think that entrepreneurship and the industry I'm in really helps me do that. So right now, you know, I'm just trying to combine all of the things I like doing while helping people, working with interesting brands, um, and also... Um, one thing that I'm really passionate about is promoting entrepreneurship to Gen Z and to the Gen Z community that we have as the Z-Link. So entrepreneurship resources and all of that. Um, So that's at the core of what I do, I would say. And uh, I think if you also, you also asked, how does that help us overcome the fear of judgment? In my case, um, at first, like when I first started, as I think happens with everyone, it was a bit more difficult to not Pay attention to what everyone was saying about what I'm doing and to everyone's opinions. But later on, um, it becomes very clear that uh, unless you're taking advice from people that have been where you want to be, it's not valuable advice. Or like, you know, if someone's just giving their unsolicited opinion and it's negative or judgmental, there's nothing that can offer you. So you're best off just ignoring it and understanding that that doesn't say anything about you or your work. Um, And uh, yeah, finally, about where people can connect with me, Uh, do feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to chat. And also I'm very active on Twitter. Um, I can send it in the chat because I'm always happy to connect with people there as well.
3: Daniel? Um, my, my, My why is very nerdy. So I'm all about accelerating human progress, as nerdy as it sounds. But basically I think that kind of takes care of pretty much everything. And when it comes to connecting, um, yeah, just Daniel Koss on either LinkedIn or Twitter or Daniel at crable.io via email. Awesome. And Matt. Uh,
0: I think that just sharing information and building a community um, where you educate people and people do really cool stuff on the back of something that you've taught them is just awesome. And if you can make uh, some money off of that, even better. So yeah, so um, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, Matt Timmons Brown, or Twitter, at, at Raspberry Pi Guy one um, yeah, thank you so much. Awesome. And I'll just
1: give myself a little shout out too. So my why is I, um, I've always been interested in trying to like overwhelm people with possibility or opportunity. So just like almost like awareness, that's kind of been my thing. Um, and at feeling, we're gonna have to talk because I am all about Gen Z entrepreneurship and all that type of stuff. So I'll reach out to you. Matt, I'm also a published author as well. Daniel, I can't seem to find a commonality. You're too unique, so. <laughs> um, but I, I appreciate you guys so much for being here. Um, I'm glad that we had this conversation. It's extremely insightful.